And yeah, and I marathoned. I'd watched the first two episodes of Arcane when it came out, and then I blitzed all of it the last two days. And oh my god, it's so good. I haven't. I've, I've seen the first two of that, but it's been a while. You've seen the first two of what? Arcane. Oh, I thought that was our main topic. Oh, I thought Astro Boy was going to be our main topic. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Hey everyone, this is episode 46 of Sketchwatch Play, a pop culture podcast talking movies, TV, cartoons, video games, and everything that comes with those. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and most third-party podcast apps and directories. If you want to stay updated or send us feedback and topic suggestions, you can email us at sketchwatchplay at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SketchWatchPlay. Join the Discord server located in episode descriptions. And if you enjoy what you hear, you can support the show by leaving positive reviews on Apple Podcasts and spreading the word to friends, family, social media, and so on. I am John Fleury, and this is going to be an interesting episode because I feel like our main topic is something that has very much hit the public zeitgeist. It is a huge hit on Netflix and in general, but our opening topics are going to get very niche, but that's just how we roll. And rolling with me today is returning guest and fellow animator and geek, Ben Reynolds. Ben, how are you? I'm pretty good and happy to be here. Yep, it was, I'm probably going to include the part of the recording in the, uh, the aborted recording in the, in the final episode that's okay with you. This is actually take two. Yeah, you know, I was actually wondering about that because I, I was like, man, I feel like we really had a good start to that. We had to stop. Yeah, yeah, at least it wasn't, um, we didn't start recording and then we got, <laughs> we got through the topics and it was like, wait, yeah. something's off. That would yeah. have been uh, unfortunate. Yeah, I'm really glad we got to do this again. And I, you know, having getting to marathon Arcane is not the worst job in the world. Oh my god! Well, I, I, it's one one you get paid for, but it's one you enjoy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I was blown away. Oh, we're gonna have good things to say about this show. Well, actually, I think I think we're gonna have good things to say about all all three of today's topics, really. But for those who who have who are new to this show, you've been on for I believe it was Voltron was the main to- first main topic. Uh, the, the the Netflix reboot. Speaking of Netflix, uh, right, right. Record of Lodos War, which I really credit you with with getting me to finally check that show out. I had a great time. And uh, last year we talked to Isoken, uh, very cool anime. And yeah, definitely uh, a fan favorite. You know, I have. I would never. I would never do a poll like, "Who is your favorite?" and see who wins and go like, "Oh, you get we place last." But uh, you're you're well. Everybody's a favorite of mine. But you, you're someone who I always enjoy having on because uh, you're one of you're one of the only people who does uh, who actually makes their own animations. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, talking about it. Right. That's uh, that's one of the things I that makes it really interesting for me. Getting to watch it is is sort of like picking it apart. Uh, with my brain, I've heard that uh, on other podcasts by animators where they're like, "Do you ever get tired just just critiquing other animation?" And I, I do that to some degree, but if I ever do it for a living, I'll probably do it even more. Especially as yes, I'm, uh, go ahead. Oh, I said same. Yeah, especially as I'm getting more serious about learning uh, Toon Boom. We talked a little bit about that. That's become like my main animation software for 2D stuff, and it has become like an industry standard. Like. I've kind of noticed, like, we've shifted to uh, a primarily, like, cutout animation for TV these days in the U.S. Yeah, I, I would say, um, unless I'm mistaken, I'm, I'm pretty sure every Western show that's not, like, hand-drawn is, is like a Toon Boom puppet show. Like, every, yeah. uh, like, adult animated show. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm not not just adult though. I mean, I'm I'm talking like uh, I just watched the Cuphead show, and I'm pretty sure that that uses uh, cutouts just with their moments where they'll they'll still do like some hand drawn flourishes. Really, really. I thought I just assumed it was uh, it was all two D, but that's like super crazy. Well, it's to, to to- it's it's hard to tell, but I'm I'm looking at like I always keep an eye out for motion tweens, even really subtle and small ones. Right, that's, right. Because that's for those who don't who don't know like. Toon Boom and stuff like Flash is kind of like a shortcut feature. You can, you can like instead of having to redraw a frame, you can kind of keep one the same for a little bit and like slide it or rotate it around. But then you can easily switch between them and, and even reuse them. That's how I do longer animations because it's time consuming. I mean, it's less time consuming, and I'm guessing the same goes for you know studio time and budget. So it, it adds up. Yeah, and I think it's also like a good solution for uh, having like multiple people work on a thing and having everything stay on model. Yes, that's an. Uh, I actually saw a Twitter thread about a little while ago where people were comparing like some different models of uh, Steve, some different shots of Steven from Steven Universe, and somebody who either worked on in the industry or at least was smart about it did go into how like when there are shows like that that are still traditionally hand drawn, uh, you can you, you might be able to like if you can identify who does each shot, you might be able to identify like their personal style for certain characters. Yeah, that's definitely the thing I miss. I, I really like being able to tell who worked on what and like being able to see their tells and being like, oh, I can tell that's that guy. I, yeah, I do kind of like I, – I guess like I'm always going to think of the 2000s and early 2010s as kind of uh, visually a, a high point for uh, 2D digital animation, even though a lot of it was standard def because Flashwood stuff was not as uh, ubiquitous quite yet. But at the I same, say, especially for like t- uh, TV animation. Sorry about that. Yeah, so that's what that's what I'm saying. But like, it was more just just on the internet back then. But the silver lining is that it, I think it's giving me a bit of a window to eventually do some work professionally. I almost uh, I almost got an interview with the studio recently. They they really? did. Yeah, they they did say like because I'm I'm actually back in school. I don't know if I've said that on the podcast, but I'm doing that and pursuing an animation degree there too. Uh, and they said like they were looking for people who had a wide an open wide schedule, but the to be in touch about uh, internship, remote stuff. So it's it's possible that in the future something will happen. That'd be cool. Yeah, that is really cool, especially um, since they're open to remote. I think that's yeah. probably going to be the standard at some point. Yeah, there's. I think there's. I've seen a lot of talk about work in general continuing a hybrid format post COVID because it it brings with it a lot of advantages for the workers' well being and even convenience. Yeah, that's actually where I'm at now too. We're we're at a a, a hybrid work situation. Yep. yep. So I can I can see that you know silver lining to a pandemic is is a little more uh, flexibility in the workplace. Yeah. Next, I did want to say I will just uh, actually ask you first. What are some things you've been working on? Uh, if, and has anything come up since uh, last year? Yeah, last year. Well, like when COVID started, I, I really wanted to focus on personal projects because I felt like I was doing like a lot of uh, work work mm-hmm. so I, I, one of the things I started doing was uh, I do a virtual life drawing class yeah I saw about that I'm sorry I couldn't make it yet but I will try to yeah that's cool and it's, it's dropping it's supposed to be like super loose and casual because uh, I can never find a drop-in class that's like my thing I always want to go to a drop-in class where you just pay 10 bucks and kind of do your own thing without having a lot of like formal uh, instruction or, or somebody telling you what yeah. specifically to do more fast and loose. Yeah, so I've been trying to recreate that and just do a lot more drawing and art that's dis- disconnected from the work stuff. It's always important to 
you know, do things with your own personal flair because doing commissioned professional work always means it's like it's it's still cool to do, but you like you're playing by someone else's rules usually, someone else's templates. Yeah, and it's also fun just to make some like slow art every now and then. Of course. I guess I've been preoccupied working in uh in Toon Boom lately. I need to do more just well no, I've done I've done some drawings. Go check out check out my Instagram, Beyond Art, and uh my Twitter. I do want to say that we this marks a little bit of a milestone. I guess I've brought it up occasionally for years on the show since we started, but now I'm trying to to push the idea a little more and get more uh, of the listener community involved. And so again, I want to say if you want to email anything about the show or the topics and industries we cover, that being film, TV, animation, video games, you can either email sketchwatchplay at gmail.com or uh, you can join my Discord server, Diamond City Nights, which originally started for the WarioWare collab, but uh, is has expanded to talk about just a lot of general pop culture and stuff. Uh, this show even has a channel on it. So I'm happy to say that t- today we have our first ever listener email. And uh, it comes from Hannah Van Wielden. And I want to thank Hannah for her email. And also, uh, I recognize her because she contributed to the Wario Collab. She did – this is really cool. She did a bunch of physical – she didn't do uh, – I don't know if she does digital, actually. She loves uh, pen and paper because she posts her personal projects on the, on the server as well. And she did a shot where she hand-drew – I think she, – did she do – Oh, she did two shots where she hand drew dozens of individual uh, frames with like pencil and marker characters and backgrounds. So you can see the background kind of move around because it's like a, a loose style and it just looks really cool. That's super incredible, especially for nowadays. I'd be yeah, interested yeah. in like, uh, how she uh, like scanned everything in and kept it registered. Scanned or photographed. Uh, well, the background moves around a little bit, but it was. I think that's part of the style, honestly. But she animated the mouth movements, just like keeping track of that without a digital tools. Like Hannah, hats off. Yeah, and, definitely. Yeah. So here, so here's her uh, question. Hello, I've watched a few episodes of Sketch Watch Play. I was wondering if you have seen the Netflix movie and series Arlo the Alligator Boy and I Heart Arlo. Even though the animation took a step back for the series, I enjoyed both. Netflix has been producing a, t- lot, a ton of fun animated goodies lately. I want to know your two cents on the Arlo franchise. She also adds, have a great weekend, because this was sent on Saturday. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, but I did have a great weekend, Then she sent that, and I will work on the next one being great as well. Uh, and sincerely, Hannah Van Wielden. Thank you, Hannah. Now, I asked you uh, bef- about this a little beforehand just to check, Ben. You haven't seen either of these, right? Uh, I have not seen this. I actually just Googled it, and I'm like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen this at all. Yeah. Um, I am kind of in between, Hannah, because I I haven't seen this show at all, but I watched the first like act of the movie for a couple of reasons. One, it got good reviews. Two, I really like the uh, animation studio that made – I think they did both uh, – Titmouse Inc., uh, who have done a lot of a wide variety of stuff. Like um, I'm looking at the list: uh, Megas XLR, the Black Dynamite cartoon, Motor City, Big Mouth, Metalocalypse. That's a favorite of mine. And I actually didn't know until now that they've they've worked on the Animaniacs reboot. So wide variety. They've also um, also like like shows for all sorts of uh, different demographics, like the the Baby Shark cartoon. That's I think is on on Nick and Nick Jr. And they in a lot of their stuff just has a really cool style. And uh, Arlo's art style reminds me of uh, a lot of car- contemporary Cartoon Network stuff. Uh, Gumball's a big one. Like there's a, a tire character in it who looks very similar to Gumball. But it, what I saw of it was animated really nice and and like energetically and. Also, uh, 
two things I want to say about it. One, it does seem to, uh, let me see if I can find the character's name. I think one thing that I, I think is cool is that it pushes uh, a character named Felicia, who is like described in the voice cast, a pink flamboyant furball-like creature who is voiced by uh, one of the Queer Eye guys. So I think it's that that she's meant to be like uh, if is it's she she has a uh, male voice so it, may, it might be a, tr- a transgender character played you know positively in uh, Family Cartoon which, which is really cool. Also, the show I, actually I don't know if the show is, but the movie is a musical, and I heard both uh, some songs in the first. First six, I'm looking at the track list. The one I remember the most was Beyond These Walls, which is kind of like Arlo's kind of a, you know, yearning song because he wants to leave the swamp and see the world. It's a really great, like, kind of motivational song. And then before the movie came out, they put out a promo clip of the song Follow Me Home, which is kind of a, an inspirational ballad. That song's incredible. And I have had, I have been listening to it for over a while on Spotify, even before it came out. Like, it was, I think it was. It, well, Spotify did an automated your top songs of 2021, and it was in there. So it's like it's got music like that, like like um, like listening in your car kind kind of good music. I, it, I mean, what, what kind of stuff that everybody listens to in their car is different. I listen to all types, so yes. Yeah, I suppose um, that's subjective. But. Yes, but uh, I I actually did listen to Follow Me Home a couple times while driving and. Again, Hannah, I apologize that I can't get into the thing as a whole, both the movie and the show. Or by that, by that, I don't mean not for me. By that, I mean I just haven't yet. But actually, I think your email might inspire me to go back and uh, at least finish the movie, and then uh, maybe check out the show if I if I'm itching for more. And I will uh, say an update uh, in the in the next episode if that happens. But uh, I want to say thank you so much for uh, contacting us and for being the first email. And again. Feel free to contact us about uh, titles, stuff we talked about in the past, stuff about the industry as a whole, uh, and we will be happy to respond. So again, thanks. But uh, we have three things to get here today. So I guess we're gonna, you know what? I'm just realizing. I think we're going to go in order from most obscure to least obscure. <laughs> That's fine. So often we pick a main topic, but then I ask our guest, both the guest and myself, pick something we've been watching or playing or enjoying recently and do a briefer talk on that. And... Ben suggested something that I was happy to cross off my bucket list because this is actually something I'd heard of for years. It had been mean to watch. Uh, that being the, hang on, I'm gonna look up. I'm gonna look up the year. Actually, no, I'll just say it's the uh, the the '80s anime OVA, Dragon's Heaven. So Ben, how did you come across this uh, this movie? Um, so I've kind of been on a uh, '90s and '80s OVA kick, and I've been like like for some reason recently, there's been a lot of stuff uploaded to YouTube, and, and, like really high quality that's yeah. not in print anymore. So I've just been like uh, uh, curating a, a playlist of stuff to watch, and um, I think I, I discovered a YouTube video where someone just talked about the production of this short, and it was, was it, it was Kenny so Lauderdale? I'm pretty sure it might have been. He's great if it if it is him. He, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna look it up while I talk. But he does a yeah, lot of I, like, I, what? I don't I don't remember for sure, but I think that might be him. Was it called? Is it the video called? They drew every grain of sand. I think that is. Yeah. Yep. He did that. He and, he, and they definitely did. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to that. But yeah, check. Out, by the way, check out Kenny Lardale. He does a lot of like 80s and 90s obscure anime and just these interesting stories uh one of my favorites is let me see if that's still up the 
Oh, maybe he deleted it. But the uh, Charge Man Ken video. Yeah, yeah. Now I know for sure that was him. <laughs> oh, it might have gotten deleted, but he'll probably bring it back up at some point. Um, that that was hilarious because that just that's like invincibly bad anime that broke his brain. But yeah, it's and I I do think that's cool because there's a lot of these. Uh, from that era that I guess were just so obscure or some didn't do well that like they've never never bothered to like re-release them even in Japan. Like they're just lost okay. to VHS or if they're it's lucky so that They don't even, I don't, maybe I guess they lost the original materials maybe. Or they just aren't interested. Uh, it can often come down to the distributors looking at stuff and going like who would buy this? We went to the trouble of, of printing or even streaming it. And, and- Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say the most interesting thing to me is also just like not knowing what to expect because it seems like they had a lot of money just to do whatever they wanted. And, uh, you know, recently I've just been seeing a lot of samey stuff and it's really cool to just see things I've never seen before. Oh. I've been like, I've never expected that. What, like, like, wow, you, you push play on this and it starts with a live action logo and live action animatronic mechs? Yeah. How about that intro? I think uh, I wrote it down. That intro is six minutes long. It yeah, it's nuts. It's like it doesn't really progress the plot, but it's it is neat to look at. And it's kind of just I, at first I was like, okay, it stops. Oh wait, these things are moving. Oh, they have like artic- finger articulation and the heads move and there are lights and individual parts. And it's just like what wh- you would never see this today. <laughs> and then uh, did you see the end credits? It's just like the making of that. It's and not even the credits. Are- it's it's like a I'm mini documentary. What? They they seemed a lot less interested in the animation and more interested in their uh, their giant mech model, which is a shame because this is like a one of a kind art style. Uh, it's, I love the way it looks. Yeah, it's like I guess the best way to describe it is not much in the way of conventional shading, but a lot of like little black dots and dashes on top of objects. Um, it's a very intentionally like sketchy and grainy look. I feel like I've seen like comic books that look like it. Really intense line work and like uh, like hatching and details in every frame. Yeah, like and like feels feels like worked. There's there's a lot of uh, '80s and '90s OVAs that feel like that. Like, do you know about some of like the cultural history behind why those could get so expensive and so out there? Um, I have a really basic understanding. I, like, my understanding is that there were like the economy was good and uh, there That's was more money for production. It. Yeah, Japan had, I think they called it like a bubble economy uh, from the 80s up to the late 90s. Like they were kind of like king shit of the world financially. Uh, and that meant more more disposable income. And also you had the, the format of VHS and Laserdisc just taking off. Like home media was just becoming a thing. And like you could put existing movies and shows on it, yes. But you could also, what about stuff that you could only get by buying the tape, which was a big deal at the time. So investors went to studios and were like, hey, we'll give you a bunch of money. Just, just give us it, – it's like Netflix's model now. Content. Give us content. And it wasn't as overseen. It wasn't as executive tight hold on it. So you got some very like uh, stuff that you wouldn't see otherwise. You got the kind of anime that starts with a five-minute like model demo. <laughs> Man, what a time to be alive. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's artifacts of a Japan that doesn't exist anymore, and it's funny that the, I found out about the recession when they met it, they mentioned it in Spirited Away. Do you remember right, that? Right. Yeah, yeah, I did hear briefly about um, the I dad the is doctor- saying, yeah, dad sees like an abandoned area. He's like, oh, after the recession, they must have done this. 
And that's an early 2000s thing. So he's talking about something a couple years ago. So, yeah, you're talking about like them caring more about the models and the plot. Like it's, it's this thing. When it ended, I was like, oh, it's over. What? <laughs> I thought we were at like the, the act two mark. Um, but, I think it's like 25 minutes of actual animation. Yeah, it also fooled that. me because there were still like four, 14, 15 minutes left on the progress bar. And that's all a documentary about the models, which is not subtitled, unfortunately. It's like, it's like a tactic we use for like student films where like the teacher is like, your film must be five minutes and it's like three and a half minutes of credits. Oh, yeah. They were like, fill out the, the videotape space with something. But I'll, I'll just sum up the plot super quick. Uh, this, I think it takes place in like the the 3000s because they say something about like, I think they say something about like the 2400s war. It takes place in Brazil technically, but it's all like a desert area by then. Um, so we have this, uh, this, this sentient mech, uh, named Cheyenne. He's a robot who can be piloted, but he has free will. Uh, his pilot dies in a battle during some war. So he shuts down on the battlefield and waits for some other, you know, human to discover him. Uh, a thousand years later, some, some scavenger named Dikuru comes across some in the desert. And, uh, by the way, I looked up the Japanese cast. She's voiced by Videl, uh, from Dragon Ball. And Wow. Yeah, and wakes this guy up, and coincidentally, uh, enemies are scanning the area, and they're like, oh shit, and they run back to their robot boss, your enemy's awakened, he comes and fights him, and gets blown up, and the girl's very chill about all of it, and then she's like, alright, let's go get some more of this fancy food that you were able to get, and end. I, I love how chill she is about everything that that, that was a great trait, like, her life's in danger, and she's just like, okay, let's do this. Uh, He's just like, you're a robot? Oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Oh, you're 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 an ancient robot. Oh, you were in the old world. Hmm, interesting. I love that they like go to brunch and, and like have a whole scene where uh, she's eating and he's not, and they're kind of just talking. I think she even says something like, if I help you, will you give me your food? And I'm just like, I don't know if he was going to eat that. I don't know if he could. <laughs> right. And she also gets uh, midway through... Uh, I forget if he makes it or if, or if someone else makes it for her, but she gets battle armor that I can only describe as white Samus. It's very Samus, the shoulder like balls. I was I was trying to count. She gets so many costume changes for for this to be so short. I think she might have like five costume changes. Oh, and she also has nothing in her first scene, and even the robot has indeed say, "Hey, get out of the bath, put some clothes on." <laughs> right. It, I I actually wonder if there was merch of this. Like, she seems like someone you could so easily make figurines of, and he could get like a model kit. Uh, but this yeah, especially being, the robot. Yeah, but this being old and a one-off thing and not an ongoing series, it's kind of it's kind of tricky to find information on. Though I did find out uh, the guy who directed it is named Makoto Kobayashi. He's directed a few other things, but the majority of his career has been uh, like behind the scenes on the visual side of things and a lot of mechanical design, which makes sense. This being technically a mech a mech show, but it also is based on a manga he wrote. So. This has some source material, and maybe that went longer. I it's pro- I don't know if anybody's ever translated it. It might be too obscure for that. But that is an interesting thing to know that this has some sort of basis. Yeah, I would love to get like the full story uh, context of this because it seems cool, but like it's so short. I, I really don't. It's just like a lot of a lot of uh, exposition dumped in, in a short amount of time. Yeah, but there's th- there's still definitely stuff to enjoy. Like I think the soundtrack slaps. It's like classic eighties. Uh, there's yeah, one track. Yeah. There was one track I really liked. I'll find. I saw the soundtracks on YouTube, so I'll I'll isolate the track and put it behind me while I'm talking in the finished episode. Also, 
like a lot of uh, OVA anime, the animation can be pretty standard when they're talking, but during battle sequences, it really shines. Yeah, it's almost jarring how like high the quality gets on like out of nowhere during some <laughs> it's of those like battle scenes. You have these these hand-drawn tanks and mechs and explosions with heavy shading and like fluid movement and, and particle effects everywhere and, and crazy like lasers and it's just like oh shit escalation and I, I think i got really used to just like cg mechs and cars and stuff so it just it's yeah i do miss uh hand-drawn vehicles and mechs it's just, it's just i'm sure it's, it's because it's a lot more hard work that they switch but it's like when it's good it's good um, yeah, I think, I think like now it's like the same. Like anytime there's like hand drawn mech stuff, it's like the same four people or something. Oh, they're a dying breed. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, times change. But uh, also, cool mech designs. I really like the villain who's all like asymmetrical and almost organic shaped. And I was so bummed that he had these really cool drones that were like sleek and red and pointed, and they just get wiped out. Yeah, I think that's really hilarious. I, I like his character design and how he's just sort of like a, a scrawny thing with a cape and like a TV. <laughs> yeah, he's also like comes off as like petty and stuff like that. I think that also adds to how like this there's technically battles and death going on, but it mostly outside the intro has a lighthearted feel to it. Like the yeah, intro, I'm- the intro with Cheyenne, you see like the blood of his pilot coming out of the cockpit. And I'm like, oh, this is serious. And then no, not really. Yeah, like the whole overall vibe is 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 pretty chill. I, I, like I feel like that's kind of like the intended purpose is like to just put it on in the background, maybe. It's the most chill mech battle you'll ever see. It also has one of the best villain death lines I've ever heard. Do you remember what the the villain says right before he gets blown up? Uh, I don't remember specifically. I'm grateful to have an opponent with such logical reasoning. <laughs> uh, it's not curse you or no. It's well. At least it's at least I went down to a guy like this. I do remember the bad guy uh, being like, "If you shoot me now, you'll blow up this girl." And then, um, uh, what is his name? Cheyenne, the robot. Yeah. He was, like, he was just like, "She can take it," and then like proceeds to shoot his gun. <laughs> uh, yeah, and her her armor gets like blown in half, but she's like, "Oh, hey, good job." Again, it's just this. It's chill as much as like an explosion and blowing up robots can be. It's like, yeah, we won at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go get some food. It's it's just like it, it does kind of feel like the first episode of a show because you think you would probably be th- you would be th- if it was a show you'd be thinking okay and they'll get more serious later or they'll expand on things on on things later and it's just like that's that's it this is this is like we got an opportunity to make something but we couldn't do more I guess maybe didn't sell well enough or maybe they moved up. I don't I don't know this is a that's the thing it's almost like these things are almost like fossils because so many of them you're not going to get a lot of production insight. Because of age and language barrier. Yeah, I would love to get my hand on those on the manga if I'm sure it's like so obscure. Yeah, I wonder in- even Japan like how much copies go for at this point. Like for the for because there's always been tons of manga coming out, but like the ones that don't become mainstream, like as the decades go by, how hard and how expensive does it get to find them? It's like a treasure hunt. Yeah, yeah, but it definitely it's like a cool time capsule. Yeah, oh, I, I, I do. I am fascinated by time capsule stuff like these. Uh, you know, I, I, in a way, you know, stuff like Akira is is like a time capsule, like the best of of eighties anime visually. One of my favorites that I still want to talk on the show eventually. You ever see Robot Carnival? I actually haven't seen that in years. I saw it when it came on uh, Sci Fi Channel okay. back in the day, and I haven't is, seen it since then. It is legally on YouTube now in HD. 
Because that, that's also what got me started uh, sort of interested in OVAs is because I was like, you know, I can watch these with my adult brain now and sort of follow what's happening. Oh, yeah, yeah. At least the ones the ones that try to make sense. I know there are some that are just like, we're going to be experimental. But yeah, Robot Carnival, stay tuned, people. That's something I've I've thought about talking for years. And for a while, it was like, it was like BitTorrent only, but now... Uh, Discotech, the heroes of retro anime in the States, put it out on DVD and Blu-ray. Remaster's great and has tons of special features. Uh, and if you're cheap, you can you can also, uh, I believe they or Retro Crush, another retro distributor, somebody has put it up illegally on, on YouTube. So check it out there. Uh, but anything else you want to say about Dragon's Heaven? Um, I don't have much else to say. I just think, I wonder how long it took for them to make that. Yeah, I wonder... I do wonder, like, what was the crew size and budget deadline like? Was this, like, how much of, like, the pretty visuals came out of genuine blood, sweat, and tears and not just... Because uh, you get the feeling with a lot of these, they aren't as much contractual obligations. Yeah, I wonder I wonder how that worked back then. Yeah, it makes me wish I could speak Japanese so I would reach out to some of the... <laughs> see if I could find some of the crew and be like, hey, you, do you remember any of this? Uh, again, it, fossils. It ask more questions. <laughs> <laughs> it leaves more questions than answers. And I guess there's a little bit of that in this next one, but um, th- I, this is on the flip side because I guess it's pretty obscure over here at this point. And, but in Japan, this is literally as, as big as you can get. So I have basically been properly sinking my teeth into the 2003 reboot, TV reboot of Astro Boy. <laughs> So, Ben, to start off, do you have any history with Astro Boy or its uh, auth- its creator slash author, Osamu Tezuka? Uh, so I don't have any a lot of personal history with Astro Boy, but I am familiar with Tezuka and sort of his impact on the industry and stuff. Yep. And the last, the, before this, the last time I saw Astro Boy was like in college for uh, animation history. Did you watch the black and white version or like the 80s color version? Uh, that was the black and white version. Yeah, yeah. Me, my history uh, with Tezuka in particular is pretty limited. Uh, the only manga of his I really checked out was years ago because a lot of his, because he is such a big figure, a lot of his uh, his work has been officially localized and printed and you can find it in bookstores and stuff like that i got the first volume of buddha years ago and the main thing i remember that turned me off he had a trait that maybe it's culture or maybe it was just personal preference it really didn't gel with me where he liked to insert jokes into scenes regardless of how serious they are i think he must have been a a big believer in like having some emotional levity but he went overboard with it yeah i'm not a fan of that either i kind of i kind of feel like if you're gonna have uh, like a dramatic scene, you can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> we actually talked, well, not you and me, but I was on Generation Animation a couple of years ago, and we kind of cited this as a as a, a great show, but a problem with Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I feel like that's kind of more guilty of that in comparison to the first FMA. Yeah, I think that's a good example. And I, I feel like it's like, um, like I don't know, people, people don't trust that we can take a sad story or something. I don't know. Which is crazy, because Full Metal Alchemist in all forms is such a dark and emotional show. That's part of the reason people love it. It's like they're they're undercutting their tone or something, and I, I get it. I guess they don't want it to be like uh, a depression fest, but I think it's like we could we get it, we could take it. Yes, and to be fair, I think that Astro Boy and some others he did a lot of stuff that was more kid oriented. He, he did stuff for like all demographics, so there's probably stuff for that 
works better than than in others. So I may check out more of his work someday. But as it is, he's someone who I more respect the legacy and influence of rather than his actual work. Because for those, there are probably people who are a lot of listeners are kind of like tangentially aware of the idea of Astro Boy for a couple of reasons. So because uh, it's had various forms through the years and all of them have been localized. Uh, I did the original TV. It was an anime. No, I'm sorry. It was a manga first in the 50s and 60s. And then it was one of the very first uh, TV anime, like, ever. Like, uh, I actually have heard, like, Tezuka was kind of having to create a lot of rules and production methods as he went along with it. I did watch an episode of the original because uh, Adult Swim aired some back in the day. Uh, being totally honest, I think it's pretty laughable by today's standards. Just- yeah, it's, it's really hard to go back and look at that stuff. Like, I understand it really did establish a lot of the um like the tropes and, and systems they use in, in japanese animation now but it's it's kind of hard to watch <laughs> the timing is very off um like i remember like astro's about to do something he cuts to the main doctor for like half a second just going like astro go down and then he just goes and i'm like you didn't need to cut to that guy and and it's also or, like it's, so few it's very 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 limited animation i was gonna say it's like two frame run cycles <laughs> it's i know they probably were on a crunch it's just well, they learned from it, I'm sure. I'm sure it helped. I'm sure many lessons were learned. Like, Astro walked so everything else could run. Uh, now, to be fair, uh, about 20 or 30 years later, they got the first chance to properly reboot it. And, you know, by then, a bit more had been figured out with anime and TV anime. Uh, and I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but I watched the first two episodes that tell, like, the origin story back then. And I thought it was all right. Uh, I didn't think it was anything special. It also doesn't help that, you know, I think a lot of anime dubbing from that era doesn't really hold a candle to how far it's come since then. And it's the annoying thing is that it's it's tricky to find any Astro Boy show in the U.S. in its original language. And this now, the interesting thing is that from what I understand, this was done uh, years later. This was the first one done without Tezuka's uh, involvement. I believe he died in the 80s or 90s. And. This was a big deal in Japan because it was done to commemorate the property's 50th anniversary. And that combined with he does have an, a very uh, big legacy over there. I've heard people constantly compare it to he is to Japan, Japan pop culture, what Superman is uh, to the U.S. So keep that in mind. That makes sense that they really went all out with the production value for this show. Because you were saying to me, like, I sent you some links and you were like, I can't believe how beautiful this looks. Yeah, I'm still sort of flabbergasted so far from what I've seen. Like, there's no drop in quality. Like, every episode looks like a movie. Or a movie or an OVA or like, it's it's kind of uncanny, like, how consistently good this show looks, especially since it's a, it's a whole 52 episodes long. It's not like one season of 13 or a miniseries. And it's just such a charming and immersive world they come up with, uh, with this city, with these robot designs, with uh, the, the plot conflicts and stuff. But... But oh yeah, me getting back to um, real quick to history with this because this did get uh, fully dubbed uh, when it came out. I, I remember it briefly aired on Kids WB back when that was the thing. I and- saw bits and pieces of that because um, I used to I used to set my alarm to watch um, the Batman, and I think that would come on either before or after it. Same time period of the early two thousands, yeah. Yeah, and I was kind of just like, nah, get this this baby cartoon out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't. I think it was my my impression then was similar to the 80s version where I was like, yeah, it's all right. And then a little while later, they also it got moved to Toonami, oddly enough. Um, I don't think I even bothered checking out there or if I maybe did because I remember because I think, you know, how Toonami does their custom intros. 
Yeah, yeah. I do remember this is the one part where, like, he's charging towards the guy. It's like, get out of the way, robot. No way. And that stuck it. Or maybe that was commercial. Out of my way, robot. No way. You're advancing much faster than I ever imagined. But I didn't really check it out that much. And I guess nobody else did either because it got canceled before it finished airing. Thankfully, the uh, the dub did get later released on DVD and has been often on various streaming sites. Oh, and I'll just say I did watch the CG movie from like a decade ago. It was nothing special. It was nothing special other than keeping – I was surprised that they kept the dark origin story, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I I actually couldn't finish that movie. I tried. (laughs) It's not great. I didn't like it. (laughs) It's one of those situations where I really wanted to like it because I was excited about – what that studio was trying to do, but I it, wasn't it was the same good. studio that did the TMNT cartoon, which I thought was great. Right, because they had a whole thing where they wanted to make um, gotcha, they wanted to bring back the 80s anime and remake them into movies and stuff, but they just like couldn't. Oh, Astro it, Boy killed them. That movie bombed and they shut their doors. Because they, they were also supposed to do a uh, Gotcha Men movie that they had like, yes. a teaser for and everything. Yes, there was a proof of concept teaser for that. Who knows what that would have been. Uh, actually, it came out also, the studio Magi. This came out after they closed. They pitched a Zelda movie. Oh, wow, man. I wonder what that would have been like. It's You can see the, the proof of concept trailer online. There's no dialogue. The character designs are kind of weird. Uh, like they're more – Western comic booky and Ganondorf's like more pretty boy. So really, who knows what that would have been? But Nintendo, you know, not shockingly, was like, "No, we're not, we're not comfortable doing movies again." Do we quite yet? Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't think that's ever gonna happen. Zelda might. I think they're they're waiting to see how Mario does this year, which they're still keeping under wraps. So we'll see. Uh, Detective Pikachu was pretty good, so anything's possible. Um, I still have to see that. Yeah, one of the better video game movies in my eyes. So it hurt. It helps if you love Pokemon, but. uh my, and actually, one of the things I I felt that was a problem with the the movie was it didn't like all of the visual fl- flourish of anime was gone from it. They westernized it way too hard. Yeah, I don't. I think that was like a symptom of the time where they're they're sort of trying to go for like this CG Pixar-y kind of aesthetic. It didn't feel you, like Pixar though because. I remember my, one of my biggest complaints with the visuals was like these are some of the blandest robot designs I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's like, and if you're you're gonna like recreate an anime, like why not push it the other way? And like, I, even like the color palettes, I wasn't I wasn't really uh, it was pretty drab. Yeah, yeah, and the story wasn't strong enough to make you forgive that. So, anyway, that's kind of been it for Astro Boy for a while. I do know they announced a French cartoon a couple years ago, literally called Astro Boy Reboot, but word has been quiet on that for a while. So who knows if it's even happening? Um, last thing I'll mention before we get into the show itself is I. Do take it back because there is one thing that even years ago I would praise for Astro Boy. Did you ever play the GBA game? Uh, I have not played that. Astro Boy Omega Factor is one of the best uh, handheld action games I have ever played. It, I, I'm writing that down. It's uh, it Astro Boy Omega Factor? Astro Boy Omega Factor for Game Boy Advance. It was developed by Treasure. Do you know who that is? Oh, yeah. Gunstar Heroes, Mischief Makers, Dynamite Heady, Ikaruga, a lot of great stuff. And it's so fun and pretty and satisfying, and I will give it credit. It has a surprisingly involving involved uh, story through dialogue boxes, but a lot goes on in that game. And I think part of that is because, and it probably meant more in the Japan, uh, they rather than just trying to strictly adapt to the the 2003 show, they incorporate supporting cameo roles from a lot of Tezuka's uh, works, like even ones who I don't think ever appeared in Astro Boy. 
It's really cool. So I, I like they like sort of took the opportunity to to put some fan fan service. Yeah, in the yeah. Even though it's an Astro Boy centric game, because I'm I, that's his most you know revered project. It's easy to forget, especially in the U.S. He did a ton of stuff, and this feels like kind of a pay his tribute to almost all of them. On top of being a really fun game, uh, that's I'm, I'm definitely going to find it now. I, I like I like having games to find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad I could introduce you to that. But uh, coming back to this 2003 show, so again, I forgot about it. It came and went, and things changed a little bit for me when years later, two things happened. I started to hear online defenders of the show who were like, so this is actually a really cool show in Japan, and it's named Japanese. The English dub was kind of pretty heavily rewritten, recut, and inferior, like it basically, it was it was almost like a four kids treatment for people who remember their practices. I definitely remember like seeing a, a like four kids cut intro for it, and having like like seeing the, the the visuals and having it not match up with what I was hearing, and just being like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> it wasn't four kids that did it. I think it was uh, Sony's TV division, but. Uh, it kind of came off like maybe they didn't have faith in it as was, and they were like, let's try and repackage it, and that, that didn't work either. Uh, so that happened, and I also stumbled across – I think this is what really started – made me go like, I, I kind of want to reevaluate this show if I can. I stumbled on the op- both of the opening theme songs on YouTube. Have you – did you watch the opening in the episodes you saw? So I actually had a similar experience. When you uh, first sent the show to me, I, I didn't – like uh, I was just looking for the dub. I was like, "Well, let me find it." Though I didn't read and, and see that they had uh, updated the subtitles to to the original um, text. So I found the English like dub version first, and then I watched the Japanese version. I was like, "Oh wow, okay, I understand." So I, I didn't really get how big of a difference it was at first. Oh, but then you, did you directly compare them? Because I didn't even rewatch the dub. Well, I watched the dub once and then never again. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a shame to go to because I like a lot of the uh, voice actors they got for it. It's, it's hard, especially since like you watch the Japanese first and that's it. Yeah, but did you? So, what did you think of the uh, of the theme? Uh, I really like the Japanese theme. I, I love the music overall. The whole yeah. show. Yeah, there are two, I, something I love is that it has two different themes and they both give off very different moods. Uh, the first one is called True Blue by a, a girl group called Zone. It just is a good like. It makes you want to cheer. It makes you want to get up and fist pump. It's just happy and motivating and, and beautiful and the visuals are great where like him and his friends are, like flying through the air and like him watching the cityscape at night it's, and it's it's super slick animation and uh, and then I, I recommend you check out the second one because that's the one that like the, I just back in like my college days, days I sought out mp3s of them both and like they were on repeat on YouTube I mean on, YouTube, on my iPod for ages so to, to do that thing, uh, one of my favorite things about anime is when they have like a second season intro. To, the music is sort of more intense because the action is getting more intense. Yes, so it- yes. Did um, did did I? I actually let me. Do you want me to uh, to send you the second opening right now? Yeah, sure. You can do that. One second. I'm gonna put it in the uh, Discord chat. Pulling up on YouTube. Da, da, da. Yeah, just watch this for a few seconds, and yeah, I'll I'll edit out the, the silence. But this, like, I love like the opening shots alone tell you, hey, shit's getting real. Global Astro, 
どこからこの話を始めよう誰にも話してない全てをみんなでこのままみんなでみんなで送り出そうぜ飾っとこう Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. Yes, I love it. And the song, the song slaps too. Yeah, I love how shiny it is. <laughs> so, yeah, that's,、uh, that is Now or Never by Chemistry and M Flow. I know M Flow is like a hip hop、uh, group, and Chemistry is more pop, so it's kind of a fusion of those. It's still energized, but it's still like there's a sense of like urgency and. and Uh, menace to it. It's great. That's why I'm excited to get more into the show. So,、uh, again, because you combine these, especially if you,、uh, I texted you on Twitter the full music video, which is kind of like a highlight reel of the show as a whole. And it's just eye candy, man. It's、uh, all these cool movements and cool designs and flourishes. And that, that combined with what I heard made me start to go, like, Uh, I really I really wanted an opportunity to see this subbed and, and see what I think. And apparently, back in the days, somebody did try and start a、uh, fan sub, and they literally got a cease and desist from Tezuka's estate. Oh, wow. That sucks. Like, they were, I guess they were kind of like someone like Nintendo, like being super protective to a fault of their property. Oh, oh, another memory. I did find out, and I eBayed years ago a, D,、uh, a bootleg DVD bot set because it said it had. Uh, subs, and I don't know what happened with this. The first, what I understand is the first half of this series had proper, good grammar and that sort of stuff.、Uh, they must have gotten some different people after that because I checked out a later episode and it was incomprehensible. I, I've definitely seen that happen before with the fan subs where something,、uh, yeah, something happened, and I was just like, then why bother? I know this is an ongoing story, but why bother watching it if I know it's, well, shit. Then I, I just by chance saw some rumblings. I am not going to、uh, post links in this episode description or anything. I will say, do a little、uh, searching on Twitter and Tumblr. The person who did this, who organized this fan sub,、uh, is sharing it on Google Drive. And I'm about nine or ten episodes in, and holy shit, this is a good show. Yeah,、I'm, I like how serious it is. I was really surprised at how serious it is. There's certainly elements. I, I certainly, I, it's not. It kind of reminds me of something like Steven Universe, where I still say it's, it's all ages and it's, there's a lot of happiness and cheeriness to it. But when stuff gets real, it gets, it gets real. Did you get to the stuff with Atlas? I、uh, don't think I made it that far. I was still. There, there were a lot of like Monster of the Week episodes、That's, that I was going yeah, through. There's a lot of filler, I'd say, but it's still like well done. Um... Yeah, very good though. Yeah, it's. Let me, let me look through my notes. One thing to talk about with the production is this is unique in two ways for a 2003 show. So,、uh, one, it's in widescreen before that was the norm, which is just showing like how all out they were going. Maybe they had the DVD market and big screens in mind and that sort of stuff,、uh, or they were thinking ahead. And did you notice that it's, it's, it's cell animated instead of, instead of digital? I actually did not notice it. Maybe that's like what's giving it the, the sort of、um, film quality look to it. It's literally on film. There is some like CG integration, but it's not overbearing. Most of it looks good. And、uh, I, apparently, that was, I, I don't know what the decision for that was because most, almost all TV and most films had switched by then. But maybe they, maybe they wanted to, like, they were like, this kind of like a retro futuristic world. Let's do, let's stick to a retro style. Cause it's, it's, cause the designs are pretty faithful to,、uh, Tezuka's style too, with like the big noses and kind of Western cartoon faces and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that really serves how the animation looks too. It's all, like, I feel like this is like the, the way that 
the uh, designs were intended to be animated. Yeah, yeah. This is like they were waiting for something like worthy of uh, with a budget worthy of of their potential. Right. Uh, and same goes for the environments. Like I just love, uh, I love this city that he lives in. I, I, I'm definitely, I'm in the process for space just where I'm trying to put together. They live in like a futuristic city, and I think I'm gonna add this to the list of uh, influences. Yeah, I, I love the design. Like they have this big shot where like um, the city almost is like stacked on top of each other to, to this point, mm-hmm. and and just like the colors and everything. Like oh, it's it's really nice to look at. Yeah, yeah, and the friendly style it kind of it uh, kind of expands to the characters because I'd say I would sum up the show has a big heart that like it proudly displays on its sleeve, and I think nothing shows that more than Astro himself or Adam as he goes by because that is his Japanese name, Mighty Adam. Uh, I prefer Astro, but whatever, because he is born with the innocence, curiosity, and optimism of a typical young child. And you notice that he's almost always trying to work out a problem before resorting to violence, unless like he really has to. Yeah, I really like the way they characterize him. They do a good job of really, um, like, making you like him a lot. And, yeah, and, and, apparently this was one of the biggest complaints about the dub rewrite too, because like they would change dialogue and try and make him have a little more attitude and a little harsher and stuff, and people were like, "You're missing the point." They're just trying to make him like Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, and he's he is not. There's other stuff like, yeah, it's for such a long show, it, there are obviously going to be a lot of one-off villain robot encounters, but there are recurring villains that I've seen so far, uh, and there are definitely ongoing plot threads. Most notably, a big rework is um, Dr. Tenma, because in the originals, he's Astro's, he is basically Astro's dad, and and they do keep, because Astro has a tragic intro in why he was created. Uh, Tenma lost his kid's son in a car crash, and decided to create a robot replica, but eventually abandoned him because he wasn't quite the same. And so, so one thing, my, my understanding, maybe I was wrong. I always thought that like uh, the original son died, and then Astro Boy was like a separate, uh, I guess, person. He but was. In this version, it seems like he's like a resurrected version of to- of he's Tobio in this, right? It, yeah, Tobio. Well, actually, in both this. And uh, the the CG movie, I think they talk about using genetic technology so that he he has Tobio's memories and doesn't even realize he's like a double. Oh, okay. So That's it's a little worst. column A, little column B. Then the idea here is that Astro. I actually watched the origin of the episode with, with Atlas, is where they finally explain things with Tenma to him, and I forget why. I think Tenma does abandon the project. And then Astro's body is found, it's, and his memory is wiped by this other, more friendly doctor to try and better. Because the idea is that he's the first robot with total free will in this world, and okay. and they're hoping that can lead to advancements in both technology and human-robot relations. And that leads into, I know the bigger conflict is you actually get a recurring villain in the first episodes who they say is part of an extremist anti-robot group. Uh, who sees them as the threat and, and as an equal and stuff. And this leads into, I know that there's a character called the Blue Knight later on. You can see him in the second intro who lead, tries to lead a robot revolution seeking independence. And it, it it possibly leads to war that Astro has to try and prevent. So again, it tackles some heavy topics. It doesn't feel like it's talking down so much. Yeah, that's definitely like one of the strongest points. I also noticed like – is is Astro able to talk to the robots that aren't yes. like humanoid? Yeah, you can see in the first episode, like there's a Alcatraz energy robot, 
And they do this effect where, like, the, the background goes black and Astro glows and he hears a voice. And I had this hor- I had this horrifying realization. I was like, so that means all the robots are sentient, even the ones that aren't humanoid. And yeah, I, I like, guess oh, they're man, just... That's- I, I, it's a little confusing. I think that they have some extent of independence, but like they always have protocols to follow and like individual purposes. Like you're able to do this task, and Astro is basically just built like just be a regular person uh, with superpowers, uh, basically. And yeah, it's and they probably get into that more. Like there's definitely episodes that touch on like there are already people who view their robots as family and good friends and are heartbroken if something happens to them. So it's an interesting world. It's 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 the original Detroit become human. Well, I feel like it's like his power is super robot empathy. Yeah, he may have like an arm cannon and stuff. Like, because I mean, Astro. Let's face it, Astro Boy is the inspiration for Mega Man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, particularly classic OG Mega Man. Like even their proportions and their their arms cannons. It's it's like one to one. But uh, things get start to get like it's a pretty. Like it does have serious moments, but it's a pretty. I feel like the earliest episodes are pretty lighthearted to get you used to Astro in this world. But shit gets real when there's a two-parter where uh, Doctor Tenma is commissioned to build another robot replica of a guy's dead son called Atlas. Only this Atlas is a supervillain in the making, and it's a two-parter. Uh, and it both finally Astro finds out about Tenma and his origin, and it leads to a genuinely heartfelt last uh, showdown that I won't spoil because you should go watch this. But I'm like, this is poignant. This is, again, Astro showing he's not wanting to jump to bang, bang, that sort of stuff. Like, I am probably about like nine or ten episodes in now, so I've just scratched the surface. But this is a charming, inventive, and at times surprisingly heavy, but still kid-friendly anime that I think if if we're making you sound – if we're, what stuff we're saying is making you interested in checking this out, I think you should check this out. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth everybody's time. I was, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was like blown away just by just at the very least you have to see how it looks. Yes, if you're an animation nerd, you can watch this for the visuals alone because it's it's you can tell tons of effort and the proper amount of time were put into this. Uh, and I've actually heard that like there in Japan and a lot of other countries, this is a very uh, iconic show. Uh, and I guess because of how we handled it, we missed out. I cannot believe we let that slip under the radar. Well, I'm saying like the localization didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it also, I guess I can't blame it for the time, but it was also the dub in all releases is is cropped, pan and scan. So you have to check out a, a Japanese version to get the full the full picture and make it and also make it fill your your screen. Again, they were ahead of the curve. Yeah, they got to re-release this on Blu-ray. Like if it's already um, if it's on film, then yeah, the you it can be natively upscaled. Yeah, it's like what are they waiting on? Yeah, maybe I maybe maybe it has been in Japan, but I'm gonna let me just let me just Google Astro Boy 2003 Japanese Blu-ray because maybe they're waiting for his next like decades anniversary. Let's see. Oh yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. Um, no, that's a different thing. It might not be on Blu-ray yet. Wow, I can understand it in the states, but in in Japan. Yeah. Oh, oh, and I did just see something I'll remember. Actually, do you know what my go-to thing for Astro Boy was before I watched this show? What's that? Did you ever watch Freakazoid? I, I really didn't watch Freakazoid back in the day. Oh. That, that was one of those shows I missed. Oh. Like, it, I didn't like it. It's just like I missed out on it. It's That's one of our earliest episodes, uh, one of my favorite childhood shows. There's an episode where they parody Astro Boy, and it's called Hero Boy. His catchphrase <laughs> is, 
he's got like a kid and play haircut. He goes, he just keeps repeatedly going, I must succeed. I must succeed. Uh, it's definitely parodying the, like the old 50s black and white version. And then he, instead of using like the arm cannon and stuff, he like will run up to like a kaiju and like ineffectively punch its its foot. And he's going like, and get swatted away. <laughs> I gotta check that out. Oh, Freakazoid is a treasure. Uh, that's another. I, I, I guess Freakazoid does have Freakazoid does have people who love it in the states. It's just never. It was like the Tiny Toons Animaniacs crew, and never managed to make that same sort of cultural impact and longevity. Uh, but it's is actually it my favorite. That? Is Freakazoid on Netflix? It's probably on HBO Max. I'll check that right now. Yeah, that, that might be one I have to add to the list. Let's see. You. Oh, it's on Tubi. You can rent episodes oh. on most on most major markets, and it's on Tubi. So go check it out there. Uh, as for Astro Boy, I actually checked. I don't think the dub is legally streaming anywhere. And again, if you want to see this in its proper, really cool format, you got to do some digging. It's worth it, though. I, I recommend it. Yes, I do as well. Hero Boy, Hero Boy, Hero Boy. I must succeed. Oh, Hero Boy. I must succeed. Up in the sky, he flies around. When he's not. He's on the ground and fighting monsters big ah! and monster king. Ah, ah, ah. He's hero boy. He must succeed. I must succeed. I must succeed.